this is Chris. Hope you're doing well and welcome to Popcorn Finance, the show where we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. For those of you listening from the United States, this is Thanksgiving week. For the rest of you, I guess you probably don't care. But <laughs> for us, this is a pretty big week of eating a lot of food, sleeping, and then waking up and eating some more food. But despite that hectic schedule that I have planned for the rest of this week, I still wanted to give you an episode. And so today I wanted to share with you one of my favorite conversations that I had this year. And that was with Kate Flanders, the author of one of my favorite books, The Year of Less. And just to prepare you, this is going to be multiple, multiple bags of popcorn today. This was originally a two-part conversation, but hey, I figure a lot of you are going to be traveling, you're going to be with family, you're going to need something to distract you from all the stress and anxiety that comes with dealing with the holidays. So hopefully this extra long episode today will help you get through the week. And speaking of things that help you get through the week, today's many bags of popcorn is brought to you by Cons and Kernels. And I've been excited to work with them all throughout the month of November because they have amazing popcorn flavors like sweet sriracha, Sin City, and peanut butter and honey. But I also love their mission to provide a great work experience for those with criminal records. Cons and Kernels founder Emily O'Brien spent some time in prison. And when she got out, she realized that it's not only difficult to find a job, but to be able to feel worthy to have that second chance. So when she founded Cons and Kernels, she made sure that she provided opportunities for individuals like herself to gain confidence and maintain positive employment. And on top of all of this, Cons and Kernels has graciously offered to do giveaways all throughout the month of November. And sadly, this is the very last giveaway of the month. So make sure you come over and join me on Instagram or Facebook, where I'll be sharing details on how you can enter to win a three flavor pack of Cons and Kernels popcorn for the very last time this month. So thanks again to Cons and Kernels for being a great partner throughout the month of November. And remember, they make popcorn that's so good, it's criminal. All right, so let's pop into my conversation with the author of one of my favorite books, The Year of Less, Kate Flanders. I really loved your book because at first when I when I picked it up and I saw the cover, I saw the year of less and I was like, oh, this seems interesting because, you know, it sounds like you're going to just not be spending money for a year. And I want to kind of see what that experience is like. And when I actually got into the book, I found out it was, it was more than that. It wasn't just this is what happened when I stopped spending, which that's in there, too. But there's also a lot of personal stuff about your life and some of the other things that are going on behind the scenes when it comes to how you relate to money and just relate to all these other things in your life. So I I really like that. And it ended up really surprising me in a good way because it was just so much more in the book than I I expected. It was just, it's one of those things where it's like a pleasant surprise when you open a book and it kind of just draws you in and I'm a slow reader. (laughs) And I got through that, your book in like a week because it just kind of, it drew me in. I was like reading it on my lunch breaks at work. And, you know, I think I should also tell people the full title too, because uh, it's the year of less, how I stopped shopping, gave away my belongings and discovered life is worth more than anything you can buy in the store. And I think that gives more of a, a complete picture of, of your book and what, what was going on. How often now do you get asked about your book and what it was like just not spending anything for or, or limiting your spending for a year? Oh, gosh. You know, what's funny is that I actually, in a weird way, don't get that many questions anymore. But it's because I've noticed that, and this is, it's sort of been interesting for me to have to sit with. I've noticed actually that um, more people ask about the decluttering and about living with less, mm. which I, I didn't necessarily think would be, I don't know, like the biggest part of what people reacted to, but I, I love it. it. I would actually say it's probably my favorite feedback when people do talk about the money side of things. 
but yeah, more so I'm noticing that more people talk about decluttering. That was one of the things that stood out to me too, because I, after I read the book, I know I went through my house and I got, I got rid of a ton of stuff. It was like, it was like this motivation. It's like, oh, this look at all this stuff that's sitting here that I'm not even using and I'm just holding on to for really no good reason. And so I know I definitely got hit with the uh, decluttering bug after I, after I finished your book. <laughs> Well, and I'm not, I, I, it's so funny because like, I don't, I obviously talked so much about, about how I did declutter and the things that I did get rid of. Yeah. It's just like interesting. And even the point that you made about how the book is a lot more personal than you expected. It's like, I had to combine all of those things. I had to combine the financial stuff, the decluttering, but also the personal stuff because our spending habits, the things we do bring into our home, or just the things we hold on to, like it's all personal and so much more emotional than we would like to believe. Like I think that's some personal finance rule that people would like to make um, a thing, which is like, oh, like money should just be a tool. It shouldn't be emotional. And it's like, yeah, but like that's not real life. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) And it is something that's just, it's just so intertwined in, in life. You know, you can't really separate money from every other aspect of your life because it kind of just all it's all intertwined it's not like there's not these clear separations between one and the other you know it, the, everything kind of bleeds into each other uh, when well, it comes totally. to how you feel about things totally and i mean there's that quote that says like if you show someone your budget they'll see your values right and that that's just there and it's also like you could show someone your budget and know it, probably even what someone's going through like if they're having a hard time or if they're just living maybe out of habit without being intentional so it, it's just, it definitely is all, it's all combined. It's all, uh, it all weaves together. Yeah, exactly. You can't, it's all one, it's all one life. Yep. I pulled a couple of quotes from your book, things that kind of really stood out to me and um, just things I thought about after I finished reading it. And especially on this, this side of talking about like the emotions and how that plays into everything. There's one quote that said, one of the greatest lessons I've learned during these years is that whatever you're thinking of binging is usually because some part of you or your life feels like it's it's lacking and nothing you drink, eat or buy can fix it. And I, I really felt that because, you know, there's there's times in life where you, you feel like you're kind of grasping for something and you're looking for something to make you happy or, or fulfill you, you know, whether it is financially, you go out like on a, a you know buying spree, or even if it's like with food with me, I know that's something I do. Like if I'm like feeling down, I'll go grab something to eat, to, you know, feel better. But this is always because there's something else behind the scenes that's causing you to do that. And, and you're trying to feel something else that's, that's bothering you or something you feel that you need. And, you know, I, I don't know what, what were your thoughts when you, you wrote this part of your book? So I would actually be like remiss if I didn't mention the fact that that was my intention for the entire book. Like before I even got started, I wrote a book proposal where you basically just outline everything that you're going to say in the book without actually writing it. This thing's like 40 pages long and you don't even write the book. (laughs) But so I wrote that and in the overview, which you're just kind of stating, you know, what the book's going to be about as a whole. I wrote that at the very end of it. And I said that if people were to take nothing else from the book or only one thing, like I just want it to be this. And it is that thought that like whenever you're thinking of binging on anything that something else is usually going on. And my hope with it was just that people would start to pay attention. And I mean, with the book as a whole, too, really coming at it from a place of trying to remove some of the judgment and shame and guilt that we all have when we do maybe binge or do the spend money on the wrong thing or whatever. Because it's, I mean, for starters, I can't judge anyone. I've made lots of mistakes. (laughs) 
But yeah, to just learn how to start paying attention. And then once we start paying attention to these things, our actions, our thoughts, like then we can create change. And the change being in that one that it, you know, once you start paying attention, maybe you can actually just strip things back and start seeing what's really going on. Like I had never done that before. I had always acted on impulse. And now I'm like probably mindful to a fault. (laughs) I'm very slow to move on a lot of things. (laughs) but I would rather be on this side of it now because I'm I'm so much more self-aware than I ever used to be. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's it's funny that you say that because that's, that's, I'm, I'm in the process of kind of transitioning myself that way as well from doing things on, on you know, instinct. It's more like I have this urge to spend or to grab this thing because, just just because, like, it's not, I don't really have a good reason why. It just kind of, it just happens. And I'm not really thinking about why I want this or why I'm grabbing this. And it's just something that, you're right. You can't change your, your habits, whether it is financially or any any other aspect of your life until you understand why it is that you're doing these things, because you'll just easily fall right back into those same habits. Totally. And like now I'm taking it a step further, just kind of in my own interests, like things I'm reading about on my own and kind of researching on my own is, you know, I think that's step one is really understanding yourself and how like what your own habits are, like why you've been doing these things. And now I'm also looking at sort of the outside influences that have maybe pushed some of those things into us, like ingrained some of that into us. So like, yes, it's marketing, but it's also just our environment, our culture, the people we grew up around, the even like the schools we go to, whatever, like we're influenced by everything all the time. And so, yeah, now I'm like taking it a step further, but the, the book felt like an incredible first step. Like it felt so good that I was able to kind of just share that thought. Yeah, there there are all these other influences in our lives that kind of feed into you know how we act, how we react, and how we handle different situations. And there's a, another quote in your book uh, where you're you're talking specifically about you know how your friends reacted to the fact that you were going to you know really limit your spending for a year. He said, "I didn't think anyone would care that I quit shopping, but I also never got mad at my friends when they started making comments that expressed otherwise because I knew the truth, which was that I had left them too." It's funny how, you know, this is another example of how money is intertwined in different ways. It's not just about, you know, how, you know, our budget is impacted, but also how we relate to other people in our lives through spending money, you know, going out, whether shopping or eating together, all these things that we do that end up costing money. But you you don't, I, I guess I was surprised too, because I didn't really think about that until I read this, that, you know, if the way I change my budget, the way I change my spending could trickle out into these other aspects of my life and how I relate and interact with other people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because my first example of really experiencing that is obviously um, when I quit drinking. So I stopped drinking when I was 27. And you very quickly realize that a lot of your friendships are going to change when you do something like that. Like not even just because I was drinking often, but because drinking is so culturally normal. Mm-hmm. So then you're like literally the only sober person in the room. <laughs> um, but then... In, in lots of changes I've made, like in switching to a vegetarian diet, it, it does like you're slightly the odd one out. Like there's a lot of people who are vegetarians, but the, the majority I would say are still meat eaters. Yeah. So that comes up and stuff. But in the shopping, I really just didn't think anyone would care until I realized like how many conversations we have about shopping. So it wasn't just like people wanting me to shop with them. Like that came up a couple of times, but it was more that. I finally was able to pay attention and like from an, an outside perspective, see 
how often we're saying things to each other like, hey, where'd you get that pair of shoes? Or, oh my gosh, this store has like 50% off everything right now. We should go or whatever. Like we're just even like how we're influencing each other on social media by sharing pictures of our homes, right? Like we're, I never realized how often that kind of stuff came up until I had nothing to say. (laughs) And then I really realized like, oh, it's so normal. Like, and I keep noticing it this year, especially I've been noticing it a lot at like different events I go to where there's like a sales pitch as part of it. Like I went to this, um, it was kind of pitched as like a wellness creativity retreat or something. And every single morning we were told about the gift shop. (laughs) Right. For starters, a book, a gift shop shouldn't even exist at a place like this, in my opinion. I I, I guess I kind of get why it's there, but also like let it just be there and don't pitch it. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, it's it's wild. And I like now I think you'll notice it even more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's people are always trying to sell something to you for one. (laughs) You see see a lot of that around. And yeah, you know, I don't I don't drink as well. And it is very weird sometimes going out and hanging out with people because then you have to deal with all the questions of why don't you drink? And, you know, what's going on? Tell me your story of why you don't drink. And it's like, well, I don't mm-hmm. really want to get into that, but I guess <laughs> you know, it's one of those yeah. things. Well, it's just, always like, oh, it has to be a story. Like there yeah. must be some drama or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, or I could just wake up and be like, I'm not going to do that anymore, but sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they're, they're waiting for some, for some really interesting story that they can go tell someone else about why you don't yeah, drink. <laughs> yes, totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> oh gosh. And another thing I, I really liked about your book because I love like stats and numbers and percentages and graphs and all these things. And I, I loved how you went and counted everything you had. And in the book, as you progressed, you were showing the percentage of things that you had gotten rid of. And mm. I found that like really interesting because I was like, oh, this is so cool. You can kind of see the progress of like, oh, it's this percent this month and is this percent the next month. And, you know, I want to know, is that always something you've gravitated towards is like just being into numbers and like liking to look at these percentages or it was just specifically because you wanted to see your progress? Oh, that's a great question. I I think my dad would, would hope that I would say that I've always cared about numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, I think, um, you know, I think partially I just have budgeting to thank for that, like budgeting and, you know, not feeling like my numbers were in alignment with what I wanted them to be is, the reason I decided to do this challenge to begin with. And so I think that, you know, after a few years of budgeting and just really knowing those numbers, I just kind of became curious. It also, that wasn't a plan um, right up front. It was more like in the first month when I could see how much I was getting rid of right off the bat. Mm. I was just like, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) I should just like keep like track some numbers. And it was so messy. Like someone asked me if I had this like, amazing spreadsheet or something like that. I was like, no, no. Like I literally had scraps of paper that I would write (laughs) down like as I was going, right? Like, it's just like, no, I've, I've gotten rid of this many and I'm keeping this many. Okay. And then like by the end of it, I would just compile them and put them into a blog post. (laughs) So (laughs) I created a spreadsheet for a blog post, but (laughs) I didn't do that like for myself. And I don't do that anymore. Like I have no idea what I own now or like how much I own now. I was going to ask you that next if you if you're still keeping that up because it does seem like that's a lot of work to actually go oh. through and track everything. Yeah, I can't even imagine doing that. Although I will say, like, uh, I'm moving right now, so I'm for the first time in a while, like you 
pick up all your things and hold them again and put them in boxes and you like learn stuff about yourself like I I feel actually completely fine with how much I own I'm only donating a very small like U-Haul box like the teeny smallest one that they have that means like whatever I've got I, I seem to be pretty happy with but I have I am someone who I have like 12 or 14 mugs <laughs> and that, that might seem like a lot, but oddly, like for how much coffee and tea I drink, I like, I go through that in a week, no problem. And so I'm someone who, because I have access to a dishwasher, like when I grew up, we didn't have one, but now that I do, I use my dishwasher all the time. But well, like I should say like once a week, but so when my dishwasher is full, then it's because I'm out of mugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my my parents, I always make fun of them because they never get rid of any piece, like any cup, any mug, any plate. Mm. There there are four people living in their house right now and mm-hmm. they have enough like flatware and <laughs> mugs to have like 50 people in their house. And I'm like, I was like, there's mugs in the back that you've never even touched. You just pull the same like five or six from the front and you never, <laughs> you never even get to the ones in the back. So I, I'm, I'm imagining that your cupboard looks like theirs with mugs right now. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> so funny. So I'm like, I would say it's not super cluttered, but of, of everything I own, that's probably the thing I own the most of, which is kind of hysterical. <laughs> I, I guess it's not bad if it's just one thing. I guess the problem is if you own that many of everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, when, yeah. <laughs> that's when it becomes a problem. <laughs> One thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, and uh, it was something that I I read in your book as well. And I'll just I'll just read the quote here. It says the truth uh, I was learning was that we couldn't actually discover what we need until we live without it. And I think that was really that's really powerful because it's one of those things where you have to give yourself time to think about the things you have in your life. And I think for most of us, we, we just live busy lives. We go to work. We, you know, we do whatever we, we need to do. We run errands and you don't, we don't give ourselves enough time to really think about what's going on in our lives, what, what we really care about, why we do the things we do. And I thought that was like really interesting about uh, that you learned by giving up so much, by giving up so many items and giving up uh, buying so many things that it really gave you an opportunity to, to think about your habits and the things you own and the things you do and if you really need them in your life at all. And like how long into the process did you even, you know, think about this or did this like thought come up? I mean, it probably took about seven or eight months for me to have that thought. And it was because like I talk about in the book, um, I found out my parents were getting divorced and growing up in a family where we did not see that coming. Like Mm -hmm. we were blindsided by it. I think it was, obviously a really emotional time then, which then sort of prompted that thought. But I, if I even just can say where I'm at with it now with that quote, you know, there's two parts of it. One is that it really taught me and is something I hold on to still to only buy things when I feel a real need for it. So it means I have to have like felt uncomfortable living without it. Mm. It can be things like when my rain jacket eventually wears out, which it will because that's a thing that happens in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um, you know, when when my sweater starts getting wet underneath, okay, well, then I will go get a new rain jacket. When you live in a new place for the first time, like don't buy everything up front that you like think you're going to need. Really live in the place and actually figure out out what you need like you will feel it every home has like these quirks about them that you sometimes need to buy a thing for and that's that's going to be different everywhere so don't just like go out and buy all these things you think you need 
live in it. Like, mm. and, and like be okay with not having everything right up front. I didn't have a couch for the first three months that I lived here. <laughs> and it's just to show like, I, I mean, it would have been a lot more comfortable, but <laughs> I didn't need it. Like it wasn't this essential thing that had to be in my life. And then the other part, like to take it further is that there are a lot of people who only ever live this way. Like they can only ever afford to live that way. They can only buy things kind of as they need them. And even then they can't always afford it. And so I think the whole experiment, even though I, you could only take it to so many depths in one book, but that has come up for me even more so like the whole minimalism movement, all this stuff. Like I really look at it as there's just a lot of, a lot of different angles with it that that like we can't give answers for everyone, but it, I think it like showed me that there are ways so many other people are living and to like really get out of my own head and my own world and just see what, like uh, what else is going on in this world. Yeah, that's true because there's so many different situations going on out there. And I think this, I don't know if it's just something we're taught growing up, like you just to be prepared and you need to get these things because you know, you never know if you might need them and you don't, I know if I heard that a lot, you know, you know, you may may not want to get rid of that because you may need that later. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, we never really, I think, take the time to think about if we need it or not. It's just you should have it because you never know what's going to happen or you should get extra because what if you run out and you don't have an opportunity to get more? And uh, I, I really I really liked that. Uh, it was towards the end of your book where you're talking about you actually knew how much of like soap or shampoo you were using because you were just you were down to a point where you were just getting what you needed instead of just buying everything in bulk up front just because you could or it was on sale totally and it sounds so ridiculous that maybe i know that stuff like (laughs) i was like by the end of that the second year i knew like okay so i go through i can't remember what it was five or six sticks of deodorant in a year or something and and that sounds so silly to know that, but at the same time, it really helps me never buy just because something's on sale, like where you're stocking up and stuff like that. Also, because I learned a lot about sales and how cyclical they are. Like mm-hmm. a, a lot of times we see sales prices again within 45 days, but they say it's 30 to 90. So yeah, I just learned a lot in general sort of of how, how like what kind of consumer I really am to cover all my basic needs. And yeah. That's what I loved about your book was that it made you think and kind of get to know yourself personally. You know, we get to know you through the book, but then also makes you think about yourself and, you know, learn more about your habits and what you do and why you do it. It's kind of, it just makes you think, which I think is always a sign of a good book when you're like you're thinking about it afterwards and it keeps your mind going. And so, so okay, now I really appreciate you, you coming on and, um, you know, please, please, if you let everyone know where they can connect with you and learn more and maybe find out where they can get the book and so that way they can have opportunity to kind of think about what they have going on in their lives. Yeah, well, I'd say the number one place I hang out is on Instagram. So just at Kate Flanders and Kate is spelled C-A-I-T. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have a website. I don't hang out there much anymore, <laughs> but I do have one. So. <laughs> And I will say, when you follow Kate on Instagram, it's going to make you want to go to Canada because there's some amazing <laughs> pictures in there. I'm like, wow, I don't, when I look out the window, I don't see that. So I need to, I need to take a trip up there. <laughs> it is a beautiful place. Well, well, thank you, Kate. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. And um, yeah, it led me to kind of, I guess, relive my reading of this book again. because I really enjoyed it. It was nice to kind of go back through my notes again and uh, kind of think about all the things I, I really enjoy while reading it. Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Appreciate you joining me. And um, I'll be following along and uh, looking forward to whatever new things you have coming out. Awesome. Your boy, keep it popping like Mary Poppins.